Hello, everybody, and welcome to Time and Attention, the podcast dedicated to helping you become a better, more intentional human being. I'm the host of the show, Chris Bailey. This is episode number 82, Task Switching. Exciting. It's the switching hour. Oh, dear. Yeah. Like the witching hour? Yeah, it came up with that just now on the, on the spot. Yeah, you could tell. <laughs> Profe- basically a professional podcaster at this point. I mean, we're 82 episodes in. Yeah. So I think that counts. Every right? two weeks, though, we put in probably an hour and a half of work. Yeah. I don't, I don't think we've put in our 10,000 hours. Well, that doesn't include all the time you spend after the fact editing. Editing. And, okay. And I mean, often we read books and papers and stuff ahead yeah. of time. So a couple books to mention. Mm-hmm. Off the bat, I, I am in a, a, a like a couple author strategy groups, I guess you could call them. And, and two authors in, in one of the groups that I'm a part of just published books. And so I wanted to give those a quick plug off the bat. Uh, one is called Joan by Catherine Chen about Joan of Arc. I am so excited uh, mm-hmm. to dig into that. You saw somebody on the, on the bus reading it the other day. I did. That I, was so cool. I know somebody famous. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the other one is My Reading Adventures, a book journal for kids by Anne Bogle. Mm-hmm. Just bought a couple copies. of. I think the age is like 7 to 12 or something. And uh, our niece and nephew are, uh, well, not 7 and 12. <laughs> Annabelle, and 12. I think, is 2. <laughs> and Elijah uh, is is not that old. I think 6 months or so. Not even. Hopefully Emily remembers about these books. Uh, But uh, if you have kids of your own or you know kids, uh, My Reading Adventures, it's awesome. You can have your kids pull their favorite quotes from the books, Mm -hmm. uh, describe how they feel from the book. And Joan by Catherine Chen, really excited to dig into that one too. Mm -hmm. I, I like this little book talk at the start of the podcast. Yeah. I mean, we both read a lot, so it only fits. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But today we're switching context to something else. Task switching. Yeah. So this is something, I mean, I think about a lot Mm -hmm. because a lot of the kind of academic podcasts that I talk to or, or listen to, sorry, all these academic podcasts talk about how task switching is something they're really mindful of, Mm. Um, specifically not task switching and really focusing on kind of one project, one task, not even just on a moment to moment basis, but even at a kind of day to day basis where Mm. you really just focus on one project until you can kind of ship the next, yeah, until you can ship the next deliverable, which is a gross thing to say. Deliverable? Ship the next deliverable. Uh, it's very corporate, but until you can kind of like pass it on to the whoever is taking on the next step, whether that means submitting it or passing it on to a co-author or something like that. Have you gone corporate? Oof, I've actually gone the opposite yeah, direction. <laughs> is is academia the opposite of corporate uh, life so far? How are you finding it? People ask about the the econ journey. With, oh, I'm uh, absolutely loving it. I feel yeah. like I've just landed in like Heaven? The, my absolute dream job. <laughs> you get to think all day. I don't know how day. I'm this lucky. Um, yeah, no, I get to think all day and I just get to work with wonderful people. So, I mean, I have just found myself in my absolute dream environment. So I uh, couldn't be it. more grateful. Love it. You get yeah. to think all day. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the key here is... The, the greater the proportion of our work that is knowledge work, the costlier the task switching becomes. And I had the opportunity to pour over a lot of the research on task switching for a mm-hmm. book that I wrote called Hyperfocus. And some of the studies out there are 
quite surprising, bordering on shocking. Uh, I still remember encountering one by Gloria Marks. She's an intentional researcher out of Stanford, and she actually does a lot of research with Microsoft research. Mm -hmm. Uh, Bill Gates, when he uh, was running Microsoft, he believed in research for research's sake, just discovering new ideas because that progresses things forward. I don't have an affiliation with them or anything, but I, I do love that mission. And so she conducted this study on in, in within that organization. And what she found was that when somebody works in front of a computer, just kind of bouncing around, trying to focus on things, on average, they focus on one thing for just 40 seconds before they switch to doing something else. And I'm going to be honest with you, Arden. Mm-hmm. listeners of the podcast. I, I didn't believe this when I first encountered this study. Yeah, it's a shocking number. It, it is. And it seems too low. It seems like the number has to be higher. Uh, so I flew out to to meet Gloria and, you know, ask her a few questions about how she conducts her research. And she doesn't look at some mouse in a maze or something and find mm-hmm. that it changes directions every 40 seconds. Uh, she What she did is she studied people in situ in, in the environment that they were in, the, the knowledge workers, natural habitat. Uh, <laughs> and she trained cameras on people as they worked. And she found that they switched between things every 40 seconds, not switching between windows on the computer, but project spheres uh, on the computer. So different project environment uh, environments. And she also found that the number lowered to 35 seconds when somebody had instant messaging open at the same time, you know, these constant reminders that we have work that is not what we are currently doing in the moment. Yeah, there will always be other things for you to attend to or work on. And so, I mean, on the podcast, we often talk about how to figure out what you should be working on and how to structure your work. Yeah. And we're not going to talk about how to make those choices right now. We're really going to narrow in on... This on, is where the rubber meets yeah, the road. exactly. Yeah. On the like actionable moments where you're trying not to switch between all these things that you're choosing. Where between. you're trying to have the traction. Yeah. Yeah. So why is attentional switching so costly? I mean, people hear that 40-second number or 35 seconds, depending on the context. If you don't believe it, you know, a good example of this is when you wake up. You know, so often our smartphone wakes us up and what do we do? But we grab the smartphone after the alarm goes off. Mm -hmm. We check our email. Then maybe 40 seconds after that, we switch to Twitter. Then 40 seconds after that, we check Instagram. The 40... And then the rhythm continues. But sorry, I I interrupted. Oh, no, it's all good. I mean, people respond to that 40 second number and just it's you have a visceral response because that seems so shocking. How could you possibly get anything done? And that's the point. How can you possibly get anything done in 40 seconds? So what is it about this kind of attentional switching that's so costly? Like, what, what do you think about that? Well, we, we talked about it a bit last week, the attentional residue, mm-hmm. the, the term coined by Sophie Leroy, where there is always, and it, it involves our working memory. Uh, our working memory is the part of our mind. It's our immediate short-term mental scratch pad that we use to process the world, to pull memories the, from our long-term memory bank, 
into the present moment so we can interact with that. Think of it as a desk that you store a bunch of papers or information on. You can shuffle them around. You can write on some things. We can edit our working memory. We can manipulate information. If you uh, multiply 12 by 12 in your head and you uh, imagine, you visualize where the numbers are going and how they interact with each other, you're using your working memory in that moment. And so we use this working memory throughout the day uh, to interact with the world. And we have a very limited capacity within that. Uh, We used to think we can hold seven or eight pieces of information in that memory at one time, but the the latest research shows we can hold around three or four chunks of information at one time. And of course, these chunks connect with our long-term memory. But because it's so limited... And we have to respect the working memory that we have. I call it our attentional space because it's kind of the immediate term memory that we keep in our mind. Um, and the problem with multitasking is when we switch from one thing to another, and we were chatting a bit about this last week, there are always remnants of the thing that we were just doing that still reside in our working memory when we switch to doing something else. And so if you're listening to this podcast and then after the podcast ends, maybe you go, you're doing the dishes or something, maybe your mind will wander back to the podcast because that information is still activated within the depths of your mind. And the, when there's a bit of time pressure, we, uh, we are able to clear our working memory more readily. Uh, meditation helps us clear our working memory and transition from one thing to another. But it, it also takes time. So not only do we have to purge the previous thing we were doing, we have to load the next thing that we're doing. Think of it as your, your brain's RAM, right? Your random access memory, the stuff that is activated in the moment. Uh, it, it takes time to load the next thing that we're doing inside of that working memory. Like opening a new program on a computer, it, you, your computer might have to close the other one in the background and move it to, a, well, I won't get into the, tech, <laughs> the technical stuff, but uh, you know, it takes time for those connections to form between our working memory and the rest of our mind. So not only do we have the cost from trying to forget the thing that we were just doing, we have the cost of trying to remember and activate the information that is associated with what we're about to do. Yeah, this is something I find... Arden Nordstrom edited the podcast now. Yeah, it made me think about something because a couple of episodes ago, we talked about taking breaths and how this kind of pause and forcing these pauses in between tasks can bring a lot more awareness to whatever you're moving or shifting towards. Yeah. I know you mentioned like meditation is something that can bring a lot more awareness and in and and helping you avoid this kind of switching cost. Yeah. Um and taking breaths are kind of a more a shorter version of that yeah. in, in my mind. Yeah. And it's something I, I very consciously do when I'm switching between, say, like meetings or switching into meetings actually is often when this is something I'm most aware of. Yeah, I remember you saying that, you know, we should use the cue that we're switching from one thing to another as, as kind of the trigger to remind us to just take a breath or two. And when you focus on your breath, that aids the process of clearing that working memory. Yeah. So, I mean, I think the, maybe we should talk about why multitasking is so attractive. Yeah. Like, why do we find ourselves doing this? Well, this is what bugs me about advice on multitasking is people say, don't multitask. <laughs> well, 
what? Yeah. You know, pe- people love multitasking. Yeah, it completely ignores the fact that people do this so much. Like, <laughs> why are they doing this? And why are they doing it? It's because it's very stimulating. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's this novelty bias embedded within the logical center of our mind, uh, by which for every new and novel thing we direct our attention at, our mind rewards us with a hit of dopamine, the uh, neurochemical that is correlated with the anticipation of pleasure. And so going back to that 40-second stat, we wake up, we go to Instagram, we get a hit of dopamine. 40 seconds after that, we check email, we get another hit of dopamine. Because the more novel something is, the more dopamine it releases in our mind. Uh, there's essentially three factors. One is genetic, one is the direct effect. Uh, so how, how something affects our life, uh, which is why we're drawn more to social media posts because it has that familiarity, it's people we know. But the biggest factor that varies between the different things that we do is novelty. Mm. The more novel something is, the more dopamine it releases in our mind. And so when we multitask, we're going from email, we see a novel message, then we go to a Word document that we're trying to get done or something, and then we think, wait... What if more email came in? What if I just sent this quick IM off to this person 35 seconds after you try to focus on the Word document and then you get another hit of dopamine and we bounce around in this sort of uh, dopamine-fueled feedback loop where we just chase dopamine instead of uh, striving for greater productivity. And so it's very stimulating. Mm -hmm. It's a very stimulating way of working. And would this be true? Okay, so I think we've kind of alluded to the fact that there are almost like two levels of multitasking where there are kind of, you can switch from the moment to the moment where Mm. you're bouncing between IM and a Word document and mail. Do people still use IM? Uh, Yeah, it's Slack now. Now people just call it Slack. (laughs) So now people are bouncing from Slack. For me, or texting. Or I mean, Google Chat is a a thing and Skype is also a big thing. Even iMessage throughout the day. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. So exactly, you're bouncing between all of these different yeah. places on your digital world, or maybe even your physical world, right? Maybe you're talking to people. Um, but so there's this kind of bouncing between things, but there's also there's multiple tasks within your day. Yeah. And you find that this is what makes multitasking attractive. The same for these moment to moment switches and these kind of broader over the day switches. I don't think so. I, I think uh, I think chasing novelty in the moment is very different from chasing novelty in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, because in the moment, you're more likely to give into impulse when you chase novelty. Whereas in general, you're trying to diversify the things you do overall. Uh, I, I think there there's definitely some dopamine connection. Do, dopamine is a fascinating neuro. I, I don't want to get into into the weeds too much on it, but dopamine is involved with both stimulation and accomplishment. So the the fact that we chase st- and they're actually directly connected. So the more stimulated our mind is the more likely we are to chase accomplishment because that's a sign of sort of a chemical imbalance almost in the mind, even though that phrase is a bit of a misnomer because of the complexity of these neurochemicals. Uh, but I think there, there is sort of a, a, an indirect connection, but that moment-by-moment moment attentional switching, I think, is more directly related to, to multitasking. Okay. If that makes, I, I, do you agree? I'm not totally sure. Yeah. I, I know in my, Me either. I'm not entirely yeah. co- confident in that. In my, I know in my work, I've gotten very, very good at avoiding these kinds of moment-to-moment multitasking. Yeah. Um, this is something I've, I've been really focused on getting rid of. And so... I almost, I very rarely check email throughout the day. I have very deliberate kind of 
timed mail checks throughout the day. So I don't check it all day. And even things like chat. I mean, I don't, I'm also in a, I'm very lucky that I work in a, in an environment where Google chat and Skype and those are not a big part do of my life. Do you have IM in academia? Yeah, I do. So yeah. some of the people I work with, I do communicate with over like Google chat and Skype oh. is also a big way, especially for people that I work with um, for field work and things like that for some of the more experimental work that I do in the field. I do have these, but I've, I mean, nothing is an emergency. I'm, yeah. I mean, I don't work at like the Fed. I'm not the kind of economist that actually has real emergencies. So um, <laughs> I think being aware of the fact that I don't have those kinds of emergencies really made me go easy on myself when I started to feel so much pressure to check these things all the time. Cause there are really no emergencies when you're an evaluation economist. So um, all that to say, I've gotten pretty good at minimizing these multiple tasks, like moment to moment, but I found in the last, especially the last year, switching between different projects and contexts was really costly for me Mm. and is really costly for me. So if I'm trying to, I used to structure my days in a way where I would work on four, maybe three or four projects in a certain day. So maybe I'd work on one paper early morning, another paper later in the morning, and then I would work on teaching in the late afternoon. And then I would work on something completely different. Like when I was on the market, I'd be doing job applications in the evening. And that's, that's just not a good way to get any of those things done. Cause it feels like you're making about an inch of progress on everything rather than actually like moving a mile on one project. And so nothing got done. It's like going to the gym and doing one lift of every single muscle in your body. Yeah, no. And I think this is for me in my mind, this felt very costly. And this is something that I hear when I was talking about all these academic podcasts that I listen to when they talk about their workflows, this has huge, Mm. huge costs when you're trying to switch between hugely disparate projects that I feel like there, there are just so much, um, there's, there is that kind of attentional residue, even at a kind of bigger picture level where you're still yeah. thinking about the previous thing. And I also think it takes a little time to build momentum on a project, to really get into the deep work of something. It takes some time. You're not just going to sit at your computer and you're not a robot, right? You're not going to sit down at your computer, at your desk, and just immediately bang out an entire evaluation design. Like that's never going to happen. You're going to need to think about it and spend some well, time writing. Speak for yourself. Man, I wish I could. Do no, that. I mean, just... it takes me like a little while to get into a flow and really sink into what I'm trying to do. Yeah. And maybe I'm an exception and just really slow. You're, but... you're gifted. I don't know about that. Yeah. No, definitely not. Well, it's it's interesting. I, I think that might relate almost to busyness almost in a way mm-hmm. where we have these different levels of busyness we can be busy moment by moment which is worth minimizing uh, and we can be busy in general which is worth optimizing mm-hmm. around productivity around meaning you know taking on commitments and projects that produce accomplishment at work and produce meaning outside of that work context. And yeah, th- thinking a bit as, as you were chatting about, you know, the different layers of multitasking, like it's, it's interesting the things that affect those different levels. Uh, like there is that moment by moment, which is the novelty, the dopamine, the stimulation, but that context switching that, that you were just talking about, the things we take on in general, uh, different things seem to affect that. There seems to be different things at play. I think there definitely is that accomplishment drive that's, that's at play there, but there's also uh, an autonomy uh, uh, variable there too, where if we have a bunch of projects that are assigned to us and our level of autonomy is low, we can't necessarily say no to things to have control over 
our level of workload. Uh, and so that might affect uh, how, uh, how much freedom we have with switching contexts. Oh, for sure. Yeah. The, and the workload level in general, just autonomy, workload, but also that, that drive and that stimulation, I think. Yeah. It's, it's interesting, those different levels of multitasking. But mul- the, I think the bottom line is the human brain, the human brain, who am I? I'm a human, I think. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> maybe I'm questioning that now on the podcast live. But I think we, we crave novelty, right? And that's mm-hmm. what makes multitasking so attractive. But the key, I think, and we'll get to the tactical ideas uh, in just a second here, the key is to recognize that this impulse to multitask is driven by this desire for greater novelty, not just in our life overall, but also moment by moment. Mm-hmm. And if productivity or accomplishment, we, we, should, we should do an episode on how we actually measure productivity as well. Uh, if productivity is something that you are trying to optimize for at work in terms of, you know, Accomplishing, accomplishing the things that you set out to do, it's worth recognizing that novelty bias and trying to minimize it in the moment by minimizing task switching. So how do you do that? Oh, I think a big part of it is the prevention. You know, we have the kind of prevention, but the awareness. We, we talk about awareness constantly on the pod, on the podcast, on the pado. Uh, And that awareness that precedes action, Uh, awareness of novelty bias, awareness of that dopamine bias, awareness of that 40-second rhythm that we uh, have found ourselves in as as knowledge workers, Uh, simply preventing things. I, I think taming distractions ahead of time is critical, but not necessarily for the reasons that we might think. You know, interruptions are very annoying, but the deeper reason to tame distractions and interruptions is every single one of those is a reminder mm-hmm. that you have work that is not what you are currently supposed to be doing or intended to do uh, in the first place. And not even always work, right? I yeah. mean, it can be other things that are distracting you. I mean, you be, you can be getting alerts about some kind of delivery on its way. Not an urgent delivery, just an exciting delivery that's yeah. like two weeks away and you're getting notifications <laughs> about Amazon. it that from the shop app or whatever. Um, so, oh. I mean... What's I, the shop app? I think it's just an app where a lot of businesses track their or consolidate all their shipping oh, notifications. Is that a Shopify thing? No, yeah. it might be. Local I don't company know. to Ottawa. No, oh yeah, Shopify yeah, is local yeah. to Ottawa. I don't know um, if Shop is. I don't know what the Shop thing is. It's but a lot of small vendors. See, it's user. easy to get distracted. As we just did. <laughs> but I do think you're totally right that prevention is... Totally. Totally. Uh, prevention, isn't it, what is the saying? An prevention ounce of prevention is, is a worth a pound of cure. Yeah. Yeah. Where I do think that is totally true here. So, um, for example, I mean, like everybody knows that you should close down your mail apps and turn yeah. off notifications. But I think a big way, like a wonderful way to do that, that I'm just totally fangirling over right oh. now, are focus modes. I never used to yeah. use these as much yeah. as I used to, or I now do. And I automatically have set times of my day where I just, my phone goes into focus mode and it has a totally different home screen, which I love. I never did that before and I'm loving it. It oh, has my great. widgets that are just specific to work. And I used to think that was so dumb. Like I can, I don't need that, but oh my gosh, yeah. game changer to have from basically from 8 a.m. until 7 yeah. p.m. I have work mode and I have two levels of work mode where I have my default work mode where I can only get notifications from you actually and my parents and my brother. And then I have... 
super work mode. I think I call it, I think I call it deep focus mode where I shut all of you off. Yeah. Oh, ouch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, it, it's, it, it's, it's interesting because it, it seems like Apple's finally acknowledged and Google. Uh, yeah. what, what bugs me about the, the Google one is they brand it under uh, digital well-being. This is not well-being. This is just supporting users and what they intend to accomplish and not getting in their way by presenting a, by a deluge of notifications and information that is unrelated to what somebody wants to be doing in the moment. And it's nice that, that companies are giving us the tools to do this now. You know, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, uh, technology exists to support our intentions, not you know, interrupt us at any moment of the day whenever somebody happens to think to message us. Yeah, um, and regaining control over our attention, you know, the the mental resource that we use to process the world around us, you know, that that uh, these devices have had a grip on for so long, I think is so, so critical. And, you know, there are digital environments, so, and most of these are digital, the, the analog distractions we have, people coming into our office, they're, they're, they are a bit more nuanced to deal with. There's more tactical, practical uh, solutions, like just shutting off alerts, yeah. you know, when we don't have control over that digital environment, uh, only allowing the, the real things uh, but also the, uh, also one that I know you're a fan of, which is the awareness chime. Yeah, I love this. So we both have Apple Watches. And this isn't supposed to be like a promotion for the things that Apple offers. But This episode is brought to you by... I mean, I think Fitbits have that too. So having <laughs> yeah. just an awareness chime somehow in your day, just like a, hey, what are you up to right now? I mean, that's not what the watch does. It just taps you literally at the top of the hour yeah. just to let you know it's at the top of the hour. And I find that just a nice... It kind of brings my awareness to, oh, what am I doing right now? Because I've started treating it that way. And so it just reminds me to check in on how I'm spending my time. And I need it less and less now that I'm becoming more intentional. But I'm not perfect. These are, there are days when nobody is. I don't do this. Like none of this works. And I end up on Google chat or mail or whatever all day. Um, But I think the, the awareness time can kind of bring your attention back to what you're actually doing. Another thing along the line of turn off alerts though is, unsubscribe from newsletters. Oh man, if there are newsletters you don't need or don't want, like unsubscribe from those or these like daily updates from from certain websites, you don't need that. I'm a big, big defender of uh, my my mailing list. So everything that I get from my mailing list is worth its value. Yeah. Yeah. Worth the distraction it brings. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That that awareness chime I think is so critical and yeah, I'm not perfect either. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I think anybody that pretends to be is is lying through their teeth. You know, oh, yeah. we, we all struggle with this because of these built-in um, kind of slopes that we have to climb. Um, the novelty bias as well. I, I think another factor here for task switching that doesn't get talked about too much is our workload level. Hmm. Uh, you know, our, our work, it's Parkinson's law is what it's often called in productivity circles, where our work tends to expand to fit how much time we have available for its completion. And when we're on a deadline, we don't really task switch. Oh, yeah. if, you, if you have to write 
20 pages by tomorrow or else you don't have a job anymore. Like, I can't think of a more severe deadline than something like that. Mm -hmm. But that'll light a fire under you. And you probably won't check I am because the relative importance of things is quite obvious. Um, You know, you have one critical thing to do. And that's just what you have to do. Yeah. Uh, and so the level of workload that we have, uh, if our work can't expand to fit the time we have available for its completion, it probably won't. Yeah. And task blocking is a good way to do that. Because if you know you've only given yourself four hours to, to write some kind of section of some report, you'll do it. I mean, if, if because if the next thing you you have to make other commitments is tomorrow, like you don't have time to do the the write-up that you promised yourself you'd do today. So task blocking can help with that, which is what we talked about, I think, last week. Yeah. Episode 81. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Time and attention. That's the name of the podcast. That's that's it. (laughs) Timeandattention.fm is the website for the podcast. You can go there, check out all the glorious, glorious episodes of this show. Uh, Many of them to choose from. 82 to choose from now, in fact. A lot of little nuggets in this Mm -hmm. one. You know, just how often we switch. Why multitasking is so damn attractive. um, Why it's such an impulse that it's worth overcoming. uh, Preventing it. Doing the simple things, but also for that deeper reason to defend our attention, the awareness chime, and just remembering between things to breathe. Breathe. So, hope you've enjoyed this episode. <laughs> Timeandattention.fm is where you can find the show notes. See you in a couple Tuesdays. Bye. Bye, everybody. <laughs>